Seinfeld, the engagement is over, but we are just getting started here on Seinfeld, the post-show recap, a podcast about nothing, and now here are the two guys who are rarely happy pappies. I'm Rob Cisternal. Here is Akiva Winokur. Akiva, how are you? Oh boy, what are we doing with our lives, Rob? <laughs> We're just podcasting about a 21-year-old episode of television. Why? What's the big deal? I mean... Like, is this our lives? Is this what we're going to be doing when we're 60? Are we men? Yes, hopefully. I mean, by the time we're 60, it'll be like, what, the eighth time around? Um, Rotation? Yeah, something like that. I think, uh, you know, you won't even, like, be able to watch television anymore. No. You know, they'll have some sort of, like, uh, hoverboard thing where you're just, like, watching shows through. I I don't know if... Someone did make a point uh, recently. I think it was... I was reading an article about Netflix. And they were saying, like... People probably always thought that, like, the opera and poetry would exist. And nowadays, we think that TV and movies are always going to exist, but they're not. Mm-hmm. Like, there will come along entertainment. Like, maybe it'll be, like, gaming. Maybe, like, e-gaming will become everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know. Things are going to become far more immersive experiences that perhaps when we are 60, we are going to have some sort of headset on. And you and I are going to be sitting in monks across each other. From each other doing these podcasts, talking about each episode as George and Jerry sit next to us in the booth. Uh, you know, that's that's possible, but it might be just everyone's moved on from TV completely. And I mean, we'll still be doing the podcast, but I think like, uh, you know, the numbers will, have will, gone know, down. Right. Oh, way down. I mean, podcasts won't even exist anymore. You're going to have to, like, <laughs> keep your iPhone seven. Yeah. From like, you know, 30 years earlier to to. Listen to the podcast, like it's you know, it's like now somebody with like the original iPod, and it's like yeah. when it breaks, you're just done. I, know. I was watching a video today of something that's coming out that it's like virtual reality where R two D two and C three PO, those are robots that are in the movie Star Wars, Akiva. Uh, that they are them. sort of like holograms in your house, and they're like like moving around your furniture and putting stuff on the table, and. It's, you know, this, this is where we're going. Uh, listen, we can't get there soon enough because <laughs> it could only improve our standing in the world. I mean, this is like Jerry, Jerry and George are making fun of themselves, but like we're, we're just watching what they do and talking about it. So mm-hmm. we're a level below them. Okay. All right. Well, really. And they're fake people. So we're like analyzing fake people, <laughs> whereas they're real people. In their minds. Well, I really uh, beating us up here to start off season number seven of the Seinfeld recap podcast. They said we would never get here, but here we are heading into episode number 111 of Seinfeld. Yeah, and I meant to do this uh, last week because we've done it in the past. But I think before we get into the engagement in season seven, can we go back to last week and give our season ranking? Can we update our season rankings? Absolutely. Season six. Absolutely. Okay, so just to keep track, um, my season rankings were five, four, three, two, one so far. Five, four, three, two, one. Got it. Uh, and universally, three, two, one are generally going to be people's bottom three in that exact order. And I believe you were sort of hedging both ways, but I believe you lean towards four, five, three, two, one. Okay. After season five. Yes. Does that ring a bell? Okay. So now season six, do you want me to like run through the episodes quickly? You know, like some of them do. Do you have like, yeah, you start off. Let me just open up my season six listing of episodes. Sure. So, so to me, season six, really good. 
you know, you have uh, you don't have a ton of super classic, fam- you know, famous episodes. But the the highlight for me was the Jimmy. Mm-hmm. But you al- you also have uh, you know you have some other really like tier one B episodes. The race is great. Uh, the silly Jerry is we had a great time with one of one of our favorite mm-hmm. episodes. Uh, the switch is really good. Mm-hmm. Um, the secretary is good. The pledge drive is good. Like there's you know the six or seven real top fifty episodes. The Chinese woman I like. The soup was good. I don't think you like the Chinese woman that much. Uh, the couch. So there's really you know uh, uh, more than uh, you know well over half of the episodes are top tier, top mm-hmm. half episodes. Um, but I it, it doesn't match season five for me. And I don't think I can have it. Season four is the contest, the bubble boy, the outing. So I'm going to put it just below season four. So right now I'm at five, four, six, then three, two, one. Okay, wow. Um, going back to season five, just scrolling through it, we have the mango, the puffy shirt, the non-fat yogurt, uh, the marine, marine biologist, the Hamptons. Marine biologist, the Hamptons. Yeah, what a strong run. The opposite, boy. Uh, I'll say four, five, six, three, two, one. How about that? Okay, that's fair. That'll be my official rankings. Not that, you know, I right. got to do a super deep dive into this. No, and so now it'll be interesting to see where season seven lands. Uh, you know, we'll be there in five months. Season seven has two double episodes, so even though it's twenty four eps, uh, you know, it's, it won't take as long as season six, which uh, has just uh, zero double episodes other than the highlights of a hundred. Obviously, the highlight of season seven is the soup Nazi coming up in just five weeks from now. Yeah, but uh, there's a lot of other there's a lot of other episodes that we'll see. You know, the the double episodes, the bottle deposit and the Cadillac are controversial. Some people really like them, some people don't. But then there's the wink, the gum, the the rye, the seven. There's a lot of uh, well known episodes, and obviously it ends with a bang in <laughs> or a thud in uh, the in the finale of season seven. Okay, so uh, very exciting. Uh, season seven on the way. To me, the thing that I sort of started to notice here as we get into season seven, where that there is a lot of the older episodes that feel very dated. I feel like that the stuff that we are getting to here in season seven does not feel very dated at all to me until we see Elaine working on a gigantic laptop. But other than that, and it's weird to me because uh, something that's 24 years old shouldn't seem that much different than something that's 21 years old. But it really does to me. Yeah, because technology was flying. Like, the difference between season, you know, seven and eight or six and seven, like, at some point, and it doesn't really become a big factor on the show, is like, you get the internet by the end of Seinfeld, you know? Me, like, you and I, we were on the internet. We were on AOL, whatever it was, 2.0 or something. Mm-hmm. And it's just, a, it, like, the technology, like, and the difference between a year now is probably even bigger. Like, you'll have a year where it's like the iPhone didn't exist. And then if the show was on, you know, whatever year the iPhone came out, like, the next year the iPhone does exist or the iPad or before that, like, the iPod. Um, you know, so there are, like, massive technology jumps in the late 90s, early 2000s, early aughts, yeah. as Chester likes to say. But, you know, but the... Um, so I, to me, seeing this computer actually makes me feel like we're really current, even though obviously the computer is insane to see like, it's like, wow, they have laptops. This is like, this is like modern days. Whereas, you know, season one, they're, they're in the freaking eighties still. But especially the fashion also and how they're dressed from season two, season three to now. Like, I mean, it's only what, four years later, but I feel like there's a huge jump where I don't think that there's anything we're seeing fashion wise that is totally absurd at this point in time that we've reached into the series that we've gotten to 1995 but in the stuff from like 1991 1992 is totally nuts and does not hold up at all no not at all and we still will see things but there is there's part of it i think is also just like a confidence that the characters have you know Mm -hmm. 
It's like they're like they're these actors like they know that they're in it for the long run now. That the show can go as long as they want, and you just, you see it like especially in this episode on Crane, on like Michael Richards' face and on Jason Alexander's face. It's like they're just like sitting around like talking. Very they look very confident, and it's like you know that I think even a little bit more than the clothes to me just shows me like okay this is like a new era now this is like the modern era of Seinfeld yeah and Julia Louis-Dreyfus here officially looks great I mean she is really you know done up in every single scene that she's in now from here on out like where Elaine would uh, sort of look just like sort of like thrown together at times that uh, here uh, JLD is ready to go. She's ready for business. Yeah, I feel like whoever the stylist was on like the first four or five seasons should have been like taken out behind the woodshed and you know gotten rid of because obviously, like in the history of television, no no one has ever like done less with more. But I you know now she looks more modern. It's true. I don't know like enough about clothes to like see if there was just like a big jump in in style that now looks more presentable. Well, I, in this episode especially, she seems very. You know, with her squeaky voice, because she lost her voice, she seems very youth- youthful and like, uh, you know, like it's a new Elaine almost. New Elaine. Okay. All right. So before we get into talking about the engagement and setting up this big plot point here in season seven, Keeve, we had some huge news this week. Some pretty, yeah, we really, pretty big news. Pretty, pretty. I, I think people, had, you know, we teased this news for years. We'd analyzed it uh, ad infinitum to like, do we think Kirby Enthusiasm is going to come back or not? And there have been a lot of hints uh, in the in the, like the news recently that people have been talking to Larry, the co-stars, um, and uh, and it's coming back. Season nine is uh, is is on the horizon. Okay, this is very exciting news. When was season eight? I think two thousand ten. Wow. So I don't even remember what was going on in season eight. What was the story in season eight? Uh, he went to New York. Yes. Yeah, the Bill it, Buckner episode. It wasn't the Seinfeld reunion season, right? No, that was the season before. Okay. And so you had all of that stuff that was going on. And yeah, I, I do remember the Bill Buckner episode. But boy, uh, there was like a Michael J. Fox episode also in that run also. Was that the yeah. season before? Okay. So uh, that's what was going on. And now here we are. And Keeve just sort of like crunching the numbers on this. Yeah. If hypothetically, okay, they're going to start working on it now. We are recording this June 2016. Figure what's the fastest that they're going to turn around whatever 6, 10, 13 episodes that they're going to do. And just to correct myself, 8 was 2011. I think okay. I said 2010. Uh, the fastest, well, Jeff Garland claims that they're not starting shooting till about January. Okay. All right. We- so, Keith, do you think that this is almost kismet? Where do you think that this potentially times up perfectly where we finish the Seinfeld rewatch project in September 2017 and go directly into new Curb Your Enthusiasm episodes? It is possible. I mean, HBO schedule, I'd have to look at their fall schedule. I'm certainly more familiar with their winter and spring, you know, because of Game of Thrones. And I know they have Girls comes back every year in like... uh, January. Obviously, it's not going to be paired with girls, although that time-wise, it doesn't work out anyway, and girls is ending this year. Um, so it's not going to... So let's work it like this. Like, they have that April season, which has no slots, right? Veep, Silicon Valley, and Game, Game of Thrones, and obviously, it's not going to be ready in time for April anyway. Mm-hmm. So it did air. Season 8 aired in July and August. Okay. So they, it's been all over the map. Season 7 was in September through November. So mm-hmm. so were uh, the, a bunch of seasons before that, but it's also it's been everywhere. Season four was January, February. Like they just put it on when when Larry's ready for it. Yeah, but I do feel like um, that HBO is more trying to. I mean, a lot has changed since twenty eleven. Yes, they have a lot more. 
they have more shows now for sure mm-hmm. that they're trying to slot in. Like they have more locked in shows. Maybe not as as many huge hits as they had when Curb had started. Yeah. Um, when they still had the Sopranos on the air and things like that, and uh, and True Blood and all those shows. But okay, so yeah, th- potentially very exciting news for where we go, and something to keep in mind as we start to begin season seven, which is the final season for LD on the Seinfeld recap podcast, and, and on Seinfeld. <laughs> Hopefully, he'll come say goodbye for his <laughs> for his finale. I think, or maybe I don't know if like he'll do that, or if we'll really. Like, he'll only want to answer curb your enthusiasm only questions. Right. You know, where he's, uh, he's like, you know, no Sunfeld questions, please. Like, my publicist uh, directly told you guys. Like, uh, like, I know you just asked four questions about my divorce to Lori. That's okay. But nope, I will not answer any questions about, uh, you know, right. the, you silly Jerry and, and, like, why he falls on it. Uh, I think, <laughs> yeah, I think September sa- sounds very, li- you know, I'd say July or September are the two possibilities. I, it, for our purposes, September, if he gave us like a month to maybe like bridge it by talking about the Seinfeld curve episodes, I think that would be ideal. Mm. You know, if we did, because I think there's five episodes of that season that that really touch on it and five that that, you know, that don't really. OK, so, so we we'd need if we had the, the four or five weeks and he started in October, I don't know if he, we could get this message to him, but that would really be ideal for us. That would be perfect for us. Uh, we can have Topher Grace on those episodes of Curb talking about Seinfeld. So that would really be perfect. And then when we talk to Larry David while he's doing the you know preseason press for the Curb Enthusiasm season, then we can try to ask some of our Seinfeld questions. Yes. And keep in mind, Larry generally does not go on The Tonight Show to promote Curb. He refuses. But I imagine this podcast will be on his uh, schedule for promotion. <laughs> All right. Anything else news-wise? I think that's pretty big for one week, but okay. uh, it's very exciting. Pretty huge news. Okay. All right. So let's get into season seven. Uh, this is an episode called The Engagement, written by the aforementioned Larry David, as we are on our way here in season number seven anything else you want to set up in the preseason of season seven chat i you know i just think that there there is like an underlying story with susan here in season seven that will have a uh, a beginning and and a, and a fitting conclusion um you know let whereas in season six there's a lot of minor gags that keep being thrown back and forth here it's just a couple major things you have elaine with jay peterman uh again putty who we just met is gone um and uh you know and, and we go to Flo- you know we'll we'll spend some time in florida like there's a lot going on but the main through line is susan okay this episode aired september 21st 1995 uh still uh the, the waning hours of hammer time yes uh the one it's on the mount rushmore of uh highest rated seinfeld episodes actually wow okay it's what? uh season seven premiere season nine premiere uh, Puerto Rican Day Parade and the finale. Okay. <laughs> you kind of wish that they would have switched out the uh, Puerto Rican Day Parade in terms of, like, if you had one well, episode listen. that everybody was going to watch, <laughs> you feel like that that maybe should not have been it. Listen, that you know, you're not, you weren't able to watch it for many years after, so you had to tune in. The 60 million people who tuned in that week uh, got to see it, and then, no one, you know, if you didn't tape it, you didn't, it was never re-aired for, for many years. Hey, what are we doing with that? Are we skipping that or are we going through it? Why would we skip it? It's an episode. We didn't even skip the highlight show. Social justice. You want you that coming down on us? Well, we could, we could sit there and, and wag our fingers at them the whole time okay, if you fine. want. All right. Plan, plan for we that. Could, we could, we could uh, you know, disavow everything that they're doing, but I feel like we should, we should still talk about the episode. That would be <laughs> – as like 
that wouldn't like set off. I don't know if you you know like that wouldn't set off like you know, some like minor OCD impulse if we did every episode but one that wouldn't bother you. It would drive me insane. Okay, all right. Well, how about this on the you know just like Seinfeld, like on our second rewatch. I think we'll no longer talk about Puerto Rican Day Parade, just like they took it out of syndication. We'll take it out of syndication. That's right. Yes. If it's getting, uh, you know, really nailed by the critics, then we'll just pull it out of iTunes. <laughs> I th- yeah. I, and listen, who knows what the political climate will be in a year from now when we get up to that episode. But okay. I, I think, you know, we'll, we, could, we could cross that bridge when we, when we get there. All right. There you go. All right. So let's go ahead and jump into this. Uh, no stand up here at the start of the episode. Is stand up over, Keith? No, there's still some stand up okay. this episode. Stand up dies in season eight. All right. So here we go. So we see George in a cold open. He is playing chess with a woman and uh, that he is sort of like talking a big game and uh, basically is being kind of insulting uh, about a little misogynistic about the uh, role of the queen about how she should not be taken out so early. She likes to stay home and take care of the king. And uh, he is put into checkmate by his uh, soon-to-be-no-longer mate. Yeah, so it is George being sexist, but then he gets his comeuppance very quickly. So very quick. can't really complain about that. Right. Okay, and felt like this did not work great as a cold open, but there we go. And then uh, we come back and go into the episode. I watched this on Hulu that for the people at home that they got a commercial in between this as well. Uh, yes, there's a, there's a, I believe there's a commercial after this. Okay. I think, um, wait, your DVDs didn't come yet? <laughs> I got it today, but I watched the episode last night. Oh, okay. Yeah, really, the timing hasn't worked out. Now you're going to find it under the uh, couch. <laughs> no, uh, I, I think, watched the inside look, but I watched the actual episode on Hulu. I think that um, the episode, especially an episode like this that has like 25 or 26 scenes and it's very busy, I do think taking out the stand-up really helps it. Even though the scene isn't, isn't super crucial or, or especially funny, I do think like it helps the pacing when you have another mm. scene to really like, uh, you know, set. This is almost like the the prologue or whatever. Yeah. And really the punchline here is George says to the woman whose name is Liz, I don't think we should see each other anymore. He goes right from checkmate to checking out of the relationship. Oh, we see Elaine for the first time in season seven and she is trying to get some sleep and there are dogs barking and uh, she is screaming at the window. Shut up, shut up, shut up. Now, Akiva, do you buy that Julia Louis Dreyfus's car or that Elaine was had like a strained voice from yelling at the dogs, or do you think that this was like real life that she had no voice and they wrote it into the show that she lost her voice because she was yelling at the dogs? Uh, yeah, no, they definitely wrote this into the show, right? I, she mm-hmm. definitely lost her voice because no one's that good of an actress. Like her voice is really shot. Yeah. Okay. I feel like that there is a lot of dog abuse that happens on Seinfeld. Yeah, and Elaine claims to be this big animal lover, but uh, mm-hmm. you know, this does not really. I, I think the PETA people who are now our friends because we had the whole conversation with them about the mosquitoes. Right. I think I think that uh, they would probably look, frown upon this episode. Yeah, I mean, I think that we're going to see uh, several Seinfeld. I mean, we've seen, what dog storylines have we seen so far? Well, the dog. You know, mm-hmm. how, oh, sure. obviously, Farfel. Peter would be very, Farfel. very offended by, uh, you know, far, first of all, like uh, Farfel's owner, not really a great owner. And second of all, like the episode, the dog being the worst, <laughs> uh, being the worst episode probably doesn't doesn't, you know, make the dog lovers very happy. We also have a lot of horse humor coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we just had we just had a big uh, monkey uh, subplot. So there's really a lot of major animal uh plots in, in these final few seasons. I think 
um, you know, we've got a rooster coming. Like, there's a lot of there's a lot of animals. It's not just dogs, but yeah, I think the the treatment of dogs uh, will will track that in the final three seasons. It really leaves what to be desired. <laughs> okay, all right, there we go. So uh, then we get to Jerry and George at Monks, and uh, Jerry is getting the download from George on what happened, and. She beat George in chess, and he doesn't know how he can perform sexually anymore after that. He was completely emasculated. Yes. Okay. I, think, I, I mentioned in an early episode that my wife beat me in chess once and refuses to have a rematch because she loves holding it over me that she's 1-0 all time against me. Boy. Even though, like, I do think I would win 8 out of 10 times against her. Yeah. Yeah, my wife has no idea how to play chess. I don't even think that if you showed her all the pieces that she could tell you what the names were. So I really can't wrap my head around what it would mean if she was to beat me in chess. I mean, I'm sure you could imagine her beating you in a in a game, though. I really couldn't. I'm trying. I'm hard pressed to think of the game. Uh, maybe something that may, like uh, perhaps a, a bowling match she could win. She's a, a pretty decent bowler, but I, I'm it's I'm hard pressed to come up with the game that she would really be able to outmaneuver me in. Listen to this trash talking. Oh, man. And now when she beats you, you're going to be devastated. Okay, what about like a 50-50 game? Like what? You know, like, the, w- like war. or Yeah, like a game that really has, you know, I mean, uh, sure. uh, if shoots and ladders. No sort of strategy that was incorporated into the game, I, I would imagine that, you know, she would have as good of a chance if it was just like a <laughs> luck-based thing. Oh, man, listen to this trash talking. Um, <laughs> what about <laughs> that? My wife has no attention span whatsoever in in winning a game. I mean, she, that she does not have that. Sort but I, of, I, I imagine she's very competitive. She's competitive, but has no attention span or tolerance for a game. So there's really like no game that she would really want to sit there and play to the point and actually want to try to win. So. I don't know. What about guess who? I feel like she could beat you at guess who. I guess. Perhaps. Perhaps. I mean, I feel like that, you know, now we're getting into like, you know, maybe shoots and ladders or something like that. Well, shoots and ladders is literally there's no skill. Right. Whereas guess who, there is some strategy. You know, you want to cut it down in half, then cut it again. Yeah. Perhaps she could beat me in guess who. I don't know. Maybe. I feel like you're not giving her enough credit. I I do think. uh, Look, I I would challenge (laughs) my wife to a game of the audience's choosing on Periscope. (laughs) <laughs> if uh, that if she would agree to it, but I kind of feel like just the entire challenge is going to make her mad. Should, so, should should people tweet at Nicole and ask her what game she wants to challenge you in, or do we want to like keep her out of this podcast loop because no, we don't I, want people's? St- well, I think that if like one person asked her, I think it would be fine. But the problem is that like a bunch of people will ask her, and then she'll say. What did you say about me? What did you say about me? And I'll say, oh, you'll just have to listen to all of my podcasts. And then, <laughs> then she'll say, all right, forget it. <laughs> I won't tell you which episode. It's in one of the 111 episodes. One of the podcasts that I do. No, it, it, Maybe if she was up for any sort of game challenge, I would happily compete with her in anything. All right. The gauntlet has been thro- thrown down and the, uh, the ball is in Nicole Love Shoes court. What she'll tell you is that she could beat me in some sort of a sport. But I think outside of bowling, I don't know what sort of uh, competition you're going to be able to have. That's a one on one type thing. What about like Pilates? She could beat you in Pilates. Sure. But you don't keep scoring that. I'm sure there's a way to like there's competitive. Pilates. I guess so. I guess so. You have some sort of like figure skating type competition where people are judging. But again, that, that's. If we can figure this out, I'm happy to do it. But 
let's keep moving along. And so that's not it that George says. Also, that this woman, Liz, also her favorite expression is happy pappy. Yeah, I think that's breakup material. I, th- <laughs> I, I totally, I don't blame him for that one. Mm. See, I would encourage this. I, I would be f- very fine with happy pappy because it's a question. If my wife was concerned with my happiness to the point that she, if she was even calling me happy crappy, uh, I would say uh, that, uh, well, thank you for asking. Uh, yes, I am or no, I am not. But I am so pleased that you are interested to know. Yeah, but you like puns and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I th- the happy pappy. I, I don't. I, I to me, it's it's a little too it's a little too cringy. Happy pappy. Okay, might change my nickname to Happy Pappy. Oh boy, yeah. <laughs> try that next week. See yeah. how that goes over. Okay. <laughs> All right. And so then uh, Jerry is like, "Oh, you're pappy." Yeah, yeah. And he says, "I get it." Uh, <laughs> All right. So anyway, uh, Jerry asks him, well, why did you say to her you don't like that? And uh, George explains that, no, he cannot do that. He's much more comfortable criticizing people behind their backs. And it really turns it around on Jerry says, hey, you broke up with a woman who shushed you when you were watching TV. Um, Yeah. I I mean, shushing is a pretty big deal for Mm -hmm. some people. Yeah. Like if you shushed your wife. You're, like your hands getting broke, your fingers getting broken, like the shushing finger. Right. I have been uh, the shush e. Far more than I have been the shush-er. Yeah, this is a big problem in synagogue also. Like when, when like, uh, you go to, to pray in like a Jewish temple. And there's always like one or two guys, if there's a type of place that has a lot of talking, mm-hmm. that like take it upon themselves to be the shushers. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. but nobody likes the shusher guy. And yeah, also, like, my and wife is big shusher. She's a shusher? Yeah. If she came to synagogue, she'd be shushing people? <laughs> I don't know if she would care enough at a religious service of any sort of, uh, not not just synagogue, church, whatever, but I feel like that uh, she could be a, a, a shusher, like in a movie theater, perhaps. Oh, that's not a ba- that's not a bad job. <laughs> so, there was there was this legendary shusher guy in, it, it was like a really big, um, like, you know, there was like seating for hundreds of people. And this guy, like, if you were talking, he would bounce over to you. He'd be there in, like, mm-hmm. three seconds flat. Even he was, literally, he was like the Ray Lewis of wow. shushing. You know, he could close a gap. You wouldn't even believe it. Yeah. I, I know I've been shushed in all sorts of different public places, uh, airplanes, uh, stores, you name it. I, I've been shushed all over the place. Yeah. I, it's hard to shush on an airplane. Like, what are you doing on an airplane to get shushed? I mean, it's my wife that's shushing me most of the time. She's the uh, shusher of me and sometimes other people. What, that she's embarrassed what you're saying out loud? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> she just doesn't uh, want to I hear your voice so. anymore. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Okay. <laughs> anyway, let's, let's not go too far down this uh, rabbit hole. So Jerry just sort of puts his hands on his head and is sort of like so frustrated. It's a, it's a look I know well. And she says, uh, what is this? What are we doing? What in God's name are we doing? Our lives. What kind of lives are these? We're like children. We're not men. Yeah, you know, this really will hit close to home for you. It's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, when you watch it when you're younger, this episode, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, we really should. Do- what, am, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. I'm like Jerry. I'm pathetic. You know, yeah. um, this, this scene and a lot of the scenes in this episode are very plot driven and they're not especially funny, but they're also like really good. They're kind of well done. Yeah. Like, this is not a bore. Like, there's very few boring scenes in this episode, even if there aren't, like, a lot of classic lines. To me, I feel like that this is a very conscious and meta turning point in the show's history because I feel like in the beginning, 
Seinfeld was a show about nothing, where it was about sort of like the little minutia of everyday life, and we were looking for those things to explore. But I feel like that here at this point, the show is sort of planting a flag and officially getting into that we are exploring how bad these people are. And I believe that from this point on, we are on a collision course with the finale. Do you feel like that is an oversimplification and we have been on that journey since day one? No, I think it's, it's, uh, it's very accurate. Um, you, some have argued that it, it becomes this season a show about something. Yeah. I don't know if it gets all the way there. I mean, one of the critiques about seasons eight and especially nine is like it gets a little cartoony, which is also another thing we're going to track because there are a few things that happen in this episode alone that really stretch the limits of reality. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, but in terms of like being more self-aware, I think, it, I, think, I think it's accurate. I think it's like, you know, we have to so like, is George going to end up married? Is Jerry going to end up married? You know, what's, what's their job? Like, where are these people settling? What's, you know, Kramer doesn't have a ton of growth. But like, what, where, where are we going with these people? Like, the, you know, the show is locked in. They're very, you know, they're very comfortable with, with what they're doing and who they are. And I think what you're saying is true. They are, they're not, it's not like lost where they're like looking at the finish line every episode. But there is some sort of like, uh, where are we going now? You know, this is like the beginning of the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And again, if you break the seasons up, that this is the beginning of the final, even though the episode count is not quite like that. If you were sort of like going to go into breaking, you know, season one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, we are in the, uh, the final trimester here in season seven. Yeah. And some people like to split it. One through, you know, one through seven in whatever order, and then eight, nine, just because that's naturally when LD leaves. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is some, and, and it's like LD has a very strong imprint on this season. He is the sole writer of episodes one, two, and three. Yeah. And The Invitations, his final episode. All right. So they continue this conversation of what are we doing? We're not men. Jerry says, we come up with all these stupid reasons to break up with these women. And George, he's, he doesn't fight it at all. I know. I know that's what I do. Jerry asks, are we going to be sitting here when we're 60 like two idiots? Uh, George says we should be having dinner with our sons when we're 60. And they talk about we're pathetic. We can't be normal. Why can't we be normal? And George mentions that, you know who I think about a lot? Susan. Remember Susan that worked at NBC? Yeah. And Jerry, Jerry thinks she became a lesbian. It's so interesting that like out of nowhere, we're just talking about Susan. And, you know, there's so much to, to really like ask if we were you know talking to one of the showrunners like why susan and they have we have like briefly talked about it when we were talking about other interviews that they're like hey we want to give him a girlfriend but it has to be someone we already saw but it's just super interesting that they pick this person who they ultimately clearly detest yeah well jason alexander did but you feel like that the other people didn't really quite recognize uh, what it was like working with susan up until that point uh, is there another one of George's girlfriends that could have been up for consideration? Is there anybody else on the Mount Rushmore of George's girlfriends? Not with how they were played. I think, you know, the Sienna a couple episodes ago was clearly, uh, you could argue, was sort of auditioning for that maybe, where, where there is the deleted scene where they get engaged, that maybe they were, they were mm-hmm. banking that just in case. But there isn't really anybody. But why not just – yeah, okay. So I like to think about the, the guest stars in a certain way where like a lot of – you know, you'll have 
the Courtney Cox, who will come in and be Jerry's girlfriend. And she's carrying as much of the load as the big four, right? She has a lot of lines. She's in a lot of scenes. Then you'll have a girlfriend like, uh, you know, Jerry's girlfriend in this episode that, that has, you know, two lines at most. She says five words the whole episode. Mm-hmm. And clearly, like, this is – she's probably being paid a lot less. She's on set a lot less. She's on screen a lot less. It's like a different tier of actress, if this makes any sense. Okay. You know? It, it's, it's, a, it's a glorified extra almost, right? Yeah. You know, if you're getting two, scene, two lines. To me, Susan, in every episode she's been so far, including this one, where she's such a major player, you know, storyline-wise, they, they give her so little to do. And it, to me, it's like they don't trust her to do more than that. And that grows. She definitely has more lines in future episodes. But you know what I mean? Like, there's so little of Susan in this episode. Yeah. So she's a glorified extra. And that's why, like, ultimately, and, and Jason Alexander's implied this, there is, like, you know, almost anybody could be on screen and say to, you know, and be a low talker for two seconds to Jerry. But I think for Susan, it's like she may have just been like, again, she never really works, uh, you know, again, as an actress, like she may have just been out of her depths working like on this massive television show where maybe she's not that, you know, she's a music teacher now. Maybe she's not that skilled of an actress. Also, she is possibly way out of her league working with some of the greatest comedy actors and the greatest potential comedian of all time. Of course. With that group, it's just you know a um, it's it's a high bar. And even if she was you know uh, you know uh, Diane Keaton coming in, even if she was Bette Midler coming in, like yeah, they, they've been doing this for six seasons, and now you're coming in and trying to be the fifth wheel, and you know that's a tall task for anybody, let alone this inexperienced actress. Is there anybody else that George dated for more than one episode? Yeah, I think he has a couple, two episode girlfriends, but there's really no heavy yeah, hitters. Yeah, the book that, club uh, ep- woman, like it's sort of like he sees her at the end, and then she's back. Yeah, to, but like, again, she so. is like again, she's a glorified extra. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure, okay, yeah, and you sort you of know, like you'd have to cast a an experience like when Jerry gets engaged and she's in parts of two episodes, like that's the Janine Garofalo, like someone who can play with these guys. Like you, nobody wanted her to be there forever, but like she was, she's a competent enough actress. That she certainly could have been, you know, with the with the core four and holding her own. To they would have had to go big here with casting and cast like you know a, a, like a, someone Tomei. who. I don't know if Tomei was doing you know <laughs> ten guest spots on Seinfeld season seven, In but 95. it's not a bad idea, right? right. All right, yeah, so now you could get Marissa Tomei for for a sitcom, probably. Sure, sure. And so basically, that hey, remember Susan? And no, uh, she did not become a lesbian. It didn't take. Uh, he ran into her last week. She looked great. And George keeps asking. He seems very insecure about this. He says, uh, you thought she was good looking, right? He asked Jerry this multiple times in the episode. Uh, yeah, I was just thinking about your question for a second. I think if I had to pick someone from the first six seasons, I think I'd probably pick Jane from the Hamptons. Jane from the Hamptons. Interesting. Yeah. What about Elaine's friend from the Fix Up? What's the actress's name? <laughs> I don't quiz me on that. Okay, yeah, I, I, that's not I, that's that's interesting. You also don't want to go too far back because we're already pulling a lane. Uh, we're pulling Susan from a couple seasons ago. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I, like I don't, I don't think that was the that was the right move to begin with. Honestly, okay. But right. I mean, it's like just picking someone, picking someone. Uh, so uh, Maggie Wheeler was was uh, was her name, Cynthia. That's not a bad call, actually. 
Mm-hmm. She's like, it's realistic that George could land her. But for the record, I have no problem with the Susan thing. You like, if you're saying that from the show creator's perspective of that, for whatever reason, they didn't like working with her, I could understand that. But as far as the story goes, I have no issue with it being Susan. And I can no, I know, I get, it. yeah, I agree. We're we're sort of retconning a situation that doesn't need retconning because her demise is is TV history. And she doesn't ruin every scene she's in. She's not even like a Mr. Pitt that's like a downer, mm-hmm. you know? She's like, she's not at all one of the... She's, no one would put her on like their top three, you know, sort of uh, like second tier players list, but she's not on anybody's bottom, really. She's fine. I'm just saying like in terms of uh, like who I would have cast initially, I'm not sure I would have gone with Susan, but... And, and you know, even after her death, like there's a lot that's made of, you know, with her parents in the next season. So we're, we're nitpicking as we always do. But I, we don't re- I don't hate Susan. And I, nobody really had these opinions till Jason Alexander ran his fat mouth. <laughs> hey, uh, her character is also supposed to be like no fun. And you're supposed to empathize with George, who's miserable spending time with her. So I think that she kind of knocked it out of the park in that sense. Yeah, that's fair. All right, so we see Jerry and George continue this conversation. Uh, Jerry says, well, this is it. Uh, I am really going to do something with my life. You know, I'm going to call Melanie again. So what if she shushed me? And they say they're going to make some changes. They're serious. I really like Jerry's, you know, resolve in the scene. And, you know, obviously it amounts to literally nothing for Jerry. But I do. I like the idea. I think is it's very realistic that like these two people could be like, all right, we're single. And I do wonder, and, you know, where we were both married relatively young, like I'm sure there is this idea that single people have that they like sort of reassess like, OK, I'm having fun. <laughs> like I'm not really jealous of my married friends like Kramer says you shouldn't be in a few more scenes. But like. Like, what am I doing? Like, where am I going to be? Like, do I want to be sitting here with you? And by the way, I'm sure for you also, like, the idea of having a friend 25 years later, they could just, like, go out to lunch with every day? So it kind of sounds good. Yeah. No, I would take that. Like, that's best case scenario best that, case. like, you're 60 and you still have, you know, my dad still has two friends from high school and he's, you know, he's like 56. I feel like, you know, that's like, that's, you know, good. That's like one of his, like, uh, the positive things he's got going Jackpot. on for him. Sure. Yeah. So did you look at the conversation between George and Jerry as a deal that George cites it later on in the episode? He says, hey, you shook my hand. We had a deal. Was that your takeaway? Yeah, I don't think Jerry went as far as George is saying that like he's going to get engaged just because George gets engaged. But yeah, I do think that they both are agreeing here to, you know, up their games as human beings. But, you know, again, this is like part of the, you know, starting to show you how bad they are, like you're saying that. Like, Jerry's not going to agree to this because in two seconds, he realized, like, oh, I'm not that kind of guy. Okay. (laughs) That's not my kind of guy. All right. So then we go back to Jerry's house, and Jerry's on the phone with Melanie, and he says, you can shush me whenever you want. Let's get this all straightened out. Happy pappy? Yeah, and that also doesn't really amount to anything. (laughs) It's like, you'd think, like, okay, Melanie's going to break up with him for saying happy pappy. That's really the end (laughs) of it. That's funny. Okay. All right. So then uh, Kramer comes in, and uh, Jerry breaks the news to him. I had an interesting lunch with George today. We realize that we're not men. We are children. And Kramer is sort of following along, like, you're wondering if there's something else more to life. And Jerry says, yes. And Kramer says, well, let me clue you in on something there isn't. Yeah, I love Kramer being the voice of reason here. You know, everything he's saying is is probably true. Like, there, you know, there's no... Uh 
Yeah, and uh, listen, you could we should be envious of Kramer. He's going into his friend's fridge, making himself like a delicious looking, you know, deli sandwich or something mm-hmm. and eating it at the table while he's hanging out with his friend. Like Kramer's living the life. Yes. Well, going back to what is it? The season three premiere where the Kramer goes to fantasy camp. Jerry says people should be plunking down money to live life as you. That's a fantasy. It's true. I mean, Kramer is the happiest guy of the four for sure. <laughs> So, you know, I think, uh, you know, but he is he has it right. Like are you know, like people who aren't married should not be jealous of married people for ninety nine percent of what's going on. But this conversation is so interesting when we talk about this idea of, okay, from this point on, we know we are going to that point where we get to the finale and these characters sit in a jail cell at the end of the series. So Kramer says, no. There isn't anything else. I mean, what are you thinking about, Jerry? Marriage? Family? He says, they're prisons. Man-made <laughs> prisons. You're doing time. You get up in the morning. She's there. You go to sleep at night. She's there. It's like you got to ask permission to use the bathroom. Is it all right if I use the bathroom now? So do you think, is there something here where that this thing that Jerry and George supposedly long for Kramer says, no, 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 it's actually like a prison. They never find that thing, and they end up in a prison. It's really interesting. I'm thinking, like, Larry wrote this episode. The two main guys are both, like, longtime relationship people who get divorced, you know, one, you know, much sooner than the other. But, like, they're both guys who maybe were not in such happy marriages. So it's funny to, to like, hear this perspective from, from coming from LD and maybe Jerry also, right? Mm-hmm. That, like, maybe, you know, maybe that's just what's in Larry's head. That, like, you know, he's got this environmentalist wife who maybe she's a killjoy. Who knows? Like, to him. And then, you know, to him, it's like he wants to watch TV in the bedroom and, uh, and you know, people uh, – and, and he's not allowed to. And that's not fair. <laughs> Kramer points out also here, uh, what do you do at dinner? You want to watch TV? No, you have to talk about your day. Keith, are you uh, watching TV at dinner time? We don't eat dinner as a – like, I work later. Like, I work nights, so right. I, I really don't eat dinner with the family usually. Mm-hmm. But we, I wouldn't be allowed to. Mm-hmm. I, I, I didn't grow – I didn't have a TV in my kitchen growing up. I don't know if you did. My wife did, and they used to eat uh, – when they used to eat dinner, uh, like, they used to – their, like, main family time was, like, they would watch a show while eating dinner at night, her whole family. But we didn't have a TV. We, like, all went to our own rooms. Like, as I said, oh. I, I had a – like – I had a TV in my room, and then my sister had a TV in her room. I used to like watch Survivor. Like I watched season one or two of Survivor. Up, like my sister and I, we had our own floor, and like we would holler across the hall to each other when something funny happened. But we wouldn't watch together. Like she wouldn't come into my room to watch. We'd watch on separate TVs. We never had like a family TV. Did you guys watch TV as a family during dinner? Or otherwise? Yeah, I do think that the TV would be on at different times. I feel like that before we moved um, when I was in uh, ninth grade, uh, I feel like the house that we moved to did not have a TV off the kitchen. But the first house that I grew up in, we did. So that was a little bit of a shift at that point. Yeah, and I think, like, I don't know. I feel like that's probably like a family eating together is good. And obviously they should be talking. But a lot of it's like your parents quizzing you on your day. Right. I don't like this friend you're hanging out with. I feel like it's better for everybody to just watch TV. 
Every family should should eat together but watch TV during dinner. Yeah, I don't mind the talking during dinner. I think that that's been well established that uh, I don't mind talking uh, to anybody about almost anything. So I feel like that probably the annoyance is for everybody else that I eat with of why do they have yeah, to Yeah, nobody talk to wants me. you to no nobody's ever like, "Oh great, I hope he asks me about my day." Right. Right. Uh, <laughs> okay. Anyway, so uh, Kramer says it's a sad state of affairs, uh, and uh, Jerry says, oh, boy, I'm glad we had this talk, but we go to see George, and he is over on the pier, and he is uh, thinking about things, watching people on the pier, people in love, people pushing baby strollers. A very out-of-character scene for the show, and we see him doing this a couple times, but let's, it's very strange for the show. Okay. It's not the only time it happens, but it's not really like in the, you know, in the like canonical flow of the show. All right. So Elaine comes in. She's exhausted. She had three hours of sleep last night, courtesy of this barking dog. She even lost her voice that she was yelling at the dog so much. Yeah, it seems like that line's just sort of uh, shoehorned in. Uh, although, to be fair, she might she may have had voice issues while they were writing it. So okay. it may have been put in originally, but it seems like it's it's not really a major plot point, which is why I think it, it's, it's just written in because she lost her voice. So Kramer mentions here, well, what if there was an unfortunate accident? And they talk about this idea. Jerry says, you're going to rub out the dog? Don't you think... I see, I wasn't a dog person in, in, the ha- in Hammer Time in the 90s, but I, I do think that like... Wait, are you now? No, not at all. But okay. at least I know that, like, you you know, like, the the only, like, criticism, like, I'll ever get is if I say I don't like dogs. Mm-hmm. No, I know. People are, love dogs. People are very serious about about dogs. I have a dog. You lo- But you hate it. No, I don't you hate named it. it I- after, you named it after a wife beater who no one wants anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and that's actually, similarly, uh, my dog finds uh, herself once again uh, in league with Jose Reyes who has been uh, designated for assignment by the Colorado Rockies, and nobody wants him. So in that way, Jose Reyes and Reyes the dog have been on similar trajectories since 2006. If someone, if, if someone writes in and says, hey, I'll take your dog off your hands, would you give them the dog at this point? I think that that would be my wife's decision. The problem is that my son likes having a dog. Oh, I'm, yes, you can't give away your kid's dog. I mean, you could tell right. them it went upstate. I am mostly indifferent to the dog, really. And I've always been like varying degrees of indifferent to the dog. You could say that there was a point where I really did like having the dog. I don't know if I've ever been a dog lover, but I liked having a dog to now I'm more like indifferent about having a dog. It's really my wife that's changed her perception of the dog. It was her that beat the drum. We have to have a dog to the point where I'm indifferent to the dog. I feel like she does really does not care for the dog. Yeah, and I, I, I also think, like, first of all, you, that means you're not going to get another one. Like, let's say... Oh, no, 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 no. Keep, 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 stop, stop, stop. Yes. That, that, you know how this is, will work is that my wife will, whenever, you know, we no longer have <laughs> Reyes the dog... Reyes goes to the great Monticello in the sky. That within six months, my wife will say, we should get a dog, and will try to sell me on the fact she likes dogs. She likes having a dog for whatever reason. Reyes the dog just wasn't working out. It wasn't the concept of having a dog that was the problem. Yeah. All right. So you listen, you'll get a dog. You'll name it after who would be like the Met you'd name it after right now. Actually. No, you have to name it after classic people. That's at this point. Yes, that's true. Right. That's true. <laughs> Someone who's like, what about like Kuzman? <laughs> He's not doing anything bad. Right. Right. I think it's, you know, probably somebody that's a little bit more of my time, but 
Uh, Keith Hernandez uh, seems like a, a good start. Yeah, but what are you going to name it? Keith Hernandez? <laughs> like, you have to, you know, what, what about Ordonez? That's a good name for it. Oh, sure, sure. Perfect. Uh, here, let's not get too caught up in what I'm going <laughs> to name the next dog I have after Ray okay. is the dog right now. So anyway, okay. we're getting into the dog hitman industry here, and Kramer knows a guy. Yeah, and it's not Bob Sacamano who you'd think like that's who it's going to be. It's going to be like the Sacamano business. But really now we're, we're elevating Newman a little bit this season to more of like the fifth wheel type of guy. Okay, yeah. Smash cut to Newman's apartment. And Newman is smoking cigarettes and that he has lots of questions about the dogs. Now, Newman does have a history with dogs here on the show. Uh, we have seen Newman chased by a dog at the end of uh, which episode is that? With the, is that with uh, John Voight's car? Yes. Okay. And so uh, that's what's going on with, uh, with Newman. He hates dogs. And, of course, that uh, he is willing to do whatever it takes. Now, did he seem like in that episode where he gets chased by a dog down the street, a person who you think would be able to handle all sorts of dogs and getting rid of them? No, I think he's like, you mean, is he too afraid of dogs to even be that type of guy? I mean, my first choice to be able to pull off a operation like this would not be a person who I've seen like flailing his arms and running away from a dog down the street. That's true, but if you notice, uh, he gets a henchman. He gets Kramer to do the heavy dog work. <laughs> okay. Right? I guess fair enough. All right, so then uh, he's calling the dog a vile, useless beast. Elaine is really, I think that maybe the writers are trying to save Elaine here and really making her not want to go through with this. They're trying to save her? but You mean like they're, they're sort of putting her over? Right, like she's they don't not the want bad guy. The, yeah, the audience to be out on a lane here and have a lane really leading the charge. Like, so what? What can you do to kill the dog? Like, they don't want to put her in the Mike Vick zone at this point. No, and you don't want um, you don't want your only female character to be like a dog murderer. So that's a good decision, right? Like, she is extremely reluctant about everything that's going on here with the dog. Um, yeah, and she even backs away towards the end, right? When the police come, like, she backs away and it's sort of like a not very Seinfeldy scene where she's like closes the door to avoid the police and like backs away very slowly. Yeah. Kind of sitcom y. But yeah, I, I agree. She's, they try and, she's involved, she needs a storyline, but they also need to keep her clean here where she, the blood's not on her hands. All right. So George daydreams on the pier. Suddenly he has a eureka moment and, uh, he is daydreaming about Susan and finally, he runs off the pier through a big flock of pigeons off to go to Susan. Yeah. Oh, by the way, the, the Newman episode was the doodle, not the Voight one. I, Sorry about that. Got that's it. right. All right. So <laughs> fact check us along the way. Good. Save a lot of emails. We've probably already got the emails of people who. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Them. That's a good point. Yes. <laughs> Never mind. You get the, You know how it works. You get the email like, oh, I just heard you correct yourself. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, that's it. So now we get two emails for that mistake. That's true. You get a lot of notifications. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. What's the most, what's the, you ever like go away? What's the most notifications you've ever had on Twitter when you came back to like after a few days of not being on Twitter? Oh, I, I have no idea. I've like, you know, sometimes I just like have like a browser window open for like a couple of days and then I come back to it and it's like, you know, those like 2,900 notifications or something like that. Like, I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I did. One time after a holiday, I had like a few hundred and 
and I'm like, oh no, I must have said something bad. <laughs> what happened? But anyway, it was nothing. It was just a lot of like, uh, you know, this random, you know, the uh, the De Silvera, the conversation where a lot of people get tagged. Mm-hmm. Sure, <laughs> that'll happen. That'll happen. All right. So we go to Elaine in her apartment, and she is typing on this giant laptop as the dogs continue to bark, keeping Elaine up. Um, yeah, and it, it, do we know by the, I mean, I guess we do know that it's the right dog in the end, right? I, I mean, I believe that everything in the episode leads us to believe that it's the right dog. But we never hear the dog bark in the car. You never hear the dog bark when this dog is gone, either, though. That's, uh, that's a good point. Yeah, no, it's definitely the right dog. We're, now I'm just looking for conspiracy theories. <laughs> yeah, it is the right dog, I believe. Okay, so Elaine calls up Newman and says, all right, let's do it. And uh, Newman says, excellent. So... The operation is on, Akiva. Yeah, and I now that you say it, I do think that like it's interesting that this is Elaine's storyline, not Kramer's. But I guess then Elaine just has nothing to do with this episode. Right, and if it's Kramer's storyline, then yeah, Elaine has nothing to do. And it's also like Jerry is going to be hearing the dog also. And so I think they, they just needed something for Elaine here in this episode. Okay, so uh, we see Jerry in the restaurant with Melanie... And he wants to know why is she eating her peas one at a time? Yeah, I, and by the way, I'm anti peas, so I don't. I think it's just as gross to eat every pea together as one at a time. I mean, if there is nothing else, uh, I guess besides the shushing going on here with Melanie, I mean, how often are they eating peas together? I mean, does she eat peas with every meal? If it really bothers him, just say, like, Melanie, I know this is, like, a weird thing, but I'm allergic to peas, so, like, just don't have them when you're around me. And she's not going to, unless, like, that's her favorite food in the world, it's never going to come up again. Uh, Spoiler. Peas are nobody's favorite food in the world. No, that's not true. There's definitely, like, babies that Yeah, no, I was going to say, like, Anthony actually peas. really does like uh, the peas. Yeah, okay so, no, okay, so, spoiler, your own son's favorite food is peas? <laughs> no <laughs> adult's favorite food is peas. Uh, fair enough. Um... <laughs> Do you ever have those like baby, the mashed up baby food? Mm. You never try it? No, no. No, me, me neither. But uh, people do, and they're gross. How would she eat edamame? You mean, is it in the pea family? Yeah, it's like a pea pod. Yeah, probably the same way. Pro- I don't know. Like, I, normally, like, sometimes I'll eat a food and I'm like, oh, I really like this. I want to savor it. And I'm a disgusting pig, so I don't actually do that. I inhale it and like didn't even realize that I, that I finished when I looked down. I'm like, what? I'm done already. But I like I understand the concept of eating one at a time. It, it's very healthy, probably. You get full quicker. Yeah. So she looks like a healthy lady. I feel like it's actually a good idea. I don't know why Jerry really is so bothered by this. It would be like good comedy material. Why not just like put it in your act? So you think this is a diet issue where if I eat slower, then I'll get full faster. In general, I would think so. But now like hearing that she just does it with peas, not maybe it's like a... Yeah, maybe it's just like a savoring issue where like I, I need to enjoy every bite of this pea. <laughs> All right. So we see George at Susan's door. She opens the door and George wants to know, will you marry me? That's uh, very sitcom here. Yeah. <laughs> the, the proposal when we haven't spoken in many years. Well, he in the history of the world has never worked see her in real life. The previous week and she looked great. That's true. Yeah, that's true. O- off screen. So. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things that are referred to here that happened between season six and seven, right? That I, I guess it's canon if they say it happened, mm-hmm. but it seems like they didn't just go away to the Hamptons for the whole summer, you know, and, and nothing happened. Like, it seems like we missed out on a lot of stuff. I'm not sure why they didn't 
add some summer episodes in to flashback really us in on what happened. Yeah. Okay. So we have a great scene where George calls his parents. Uh, maybe the funniest stuff in the episode where George calls up his parents and says, uh, Ma, guess what? I'm getting married. Uh, yeah, it's great. You know, Estelle is great here. The whole scene is fantastic. Yeah. And so actually he starts off and says, guess what? And she immediately goes into, oh, my God. And they're like, no, no, it's not anything bad. You know, what do you think the oh my god is the like contest, I'm in jail? The contest. I mean, I think that oh, we're okay. sort of like back in that where she <laughs> after that he could be calling up with anything. Yeah, all no, all bets are off. I, I, yeah, I think maybe it's like a little bit of a gay reference just be, from what Frank says in a few, in a few minutes. <laughs> yeah, and you're getting married. I can't believe it, Frank. Come here, and uh, Georgie's getting married. Like, uh, get out of here, and then. Uh, what does she look like? Is she pretty? Now, is this a very vain thing of uh, Estelle to be asking? Yeah, I would think Estelle is more the type to say, like, I'm so offended. I've never even met her and you're already engaged. Right. I kind of feel like that she should be happy he's with anybody. Don't you think the, the Costanzas would want George to marry any woman and wouldn't care at all what she looked like? A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And so... Uh, then uh, Frank has the line about, uh, you know, is it, is it a woman? Uh, yes, uh, it's a woman. And then uh, they're sort of like arguing over the phone. She wants to talk to you. And um, Susan says to uh, Mr. and Mrs. Costanza, I love your son very much. Wow. Su- Susan's even on board with this. Yeah. Again, like George has apparently spent the last few hours trying to persuade her to marry him. Mm-hmm. And she loves him already. Yeah, Susan, in this episode, her motivation is quite odd, where it's almost like if she was not pining for George over all these years, you sort of get the impression that Susan, okay, I'll just settle for this. This is fine. I always wanted to get married. Here's a guy. Am I going to do better than this? Fine. But not only is she telling the Costanzas, I love your son very much, she wants to watch sort of a schmaltzy mad about you and stuff like that. Like she actually acts like she is in love with George and George is like the reluctant person in the relationship. Totally. And it's it's also a little weird that Susan is uh you know, well but how about this? Like Susan is bouncing around. She's clearly searching for something in life. Mm-hmm. She's she, you know, she's dating George, then she's dating a woman, then she's back on the man team and it's you know, so clearly she's someone who is Maybe at the exact same stage that Jerry and George we a saw. A candle the in the episode. wind, if you will. Sure. So, you know what? I'm up for anything. <laughs> what I've done so far hasn't worked. I got fired from my really good TV executive job. My rich parents are going to support me forever at this point, even though I think canonically she's not rich until we decide, until the show decides she's rich later on. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, I think, uh, why not? Why not, uh, why not just say yes to this? What's the worst thing that can happen? The ultimate tragic figure in all of Seinfeld lore who literally has her life completely ruined by the Seinfeld gang. Yes. I mean, of course, she can't testify at the final trial, but, you know, there's there's really no one who has more of a gripe with the core four and George in particular than uh, than Susan. Yeah. Not sure if Elaine ever really wronged Susan. Maybe we'll uh, track that along the way. Yeah. I don't think they like each other very much. But yeah, Susan Ross... You know, she does not make it out of Hammer Time and uh, much to, you know, really the blame of uh, George Costanza. Okay, Uh, George ends up hanging up on his parents. And so uh, Jerry ends up walking back into his apartment. He sees Kramer with a bunch of rope and stuff. Wait, Kramer is uh, really in on this dog catching mission. 
Yeah, Kramer really had like I guess he just he's up for a caper. Mm-hmm. You know, he loves hanging out with Newman when when they're on good terms. Uh, and you know, we don't see a lot of like the Kramer Lane dynamics. That's fun when it happens. But yeah, he doesn't really have a lot of motivation. Uh, he must hate pets. He must hate dogs also. <laughs> okay. All right. So then uh, George comes in and uh, he wants to uh, tell Jerry the big news. He's got news. He got engaged. He's getting married. He asked Susan and they're getting married this Christmas. Yeah. Jerry's reaction is really interesting in this whole scene. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's up. It's down. You don't know like what he, what he was told like by the director to do. It's, it's very unclear. I don't know if this is really bad acting by Jerry or they're just like, uh, you know, planned it weirdly. Yeah, well, let's talk it through. So Jerry is big here. He's, oh my God, I'm blown away. And George says, hey, I'm a man, Jerry. You know why? It's because that talk we had, you were my inspiration. Do you believe it? That lunch was the defining moment of my life. And uh, Jerry's blown away. Wow, she said yes. And George says here, it took a couple of hours of convincing, which I feel like does not jive with anything we're talking about where Susan telling nope. the Costanzas that she loves him. But it was like it was in the movies. A beautiful woman like that, uh, that she's still available and he's got her. And he asks again, you think she's good looking, right? <laughs> it's a very, yeah. I mean, because you're just, they're just showing him having second doubts, you know, second thoughts already. Mm-hmm. And Jerry says, you're going to have gorgeous kids. And uh, great callback here. Again, back to the fix up where uh, George says, uh, yeah, she's got great skin, a rosy glow. And Jerry <laughs> asks a pinkish hue which was one of the questions that George wanted to know uh, when he was being fixed up in the fix-up. Yeah, it is funny, because it's almost like Jerry asking, like, he doesn't remember what she looks like. Like, mm-hmm. hey, Jerry, you've met her before. But yeah, no, that is a good callback here. <laughs> All right. And she's got the hue, and George was like, well, so what's going on with you and Melanie? I mean, I know you're not getting married, but what's, what's happening? You, you guys are together? And uh, Jerry says, no, we broke up. Because <laughs> of the peas. Because <laughs> of the peas. And Jerry goes into a whole thing about how you know, she has the strangest habit. She eats her peas one at a time. I've never seen anything like it. It takes her an hour to eat them. We've had dinner uh, other times. I've seen her eat corn niblets, but she scooped them. And George is like playing along. So, uh, so she scooped the niblets. Yes. <laughs> that's what's so vexing. <laughs> right. Because Jerry's in. You know, what it, you know what it's like, this scene? It's like you go to college, mm-hmm. and I'm sure you came back to Wanta. Mm-hmm. And you had some, assuming you had friends, like you had no. some friend who ha- who never went away, right? Wrong assumption, right? <laughs> but let's just say, yeah. Um, the so you know your friend comes back and it's like you're already in like the big you know big man on campus college mode, and this guy still wants to do the things you did in like senior year of high school, right? Mm-hmm. So George is like, I've moved on past the like we're pathetic loser stage, and Jerry's still wondering about the peas. And then you're like, you know, I'm sure you've had this, right? This is like a cliche in movies and TV, right? Where it's like, oh, and like I've moved on past this friend. I've like graduated past. This. <laughs> yeah, is this well, something you had in real life, or are you no, just familiar no, with it from? Like, I am not, but you know it from TV friends. and movies, right? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, I didn't okay. make this up. Like it's a real thing. <laughs> no. Uh, George wants to know, what about the pact? And Jerry's like, we didn't have a pact. You stuck your hand out. I shook it, but there was no pact. Yeah, Jerry's a little bit of a cheater here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Jerry's like, you thought I was going to get married? Right. I mean, they didn't ever, again, they never agreed to do anything like that. They just agreed to become grownups. Yeah. That doesn't mean get, I don't, I don't know if it's the most grown-up thing to do in the world to get married to a woman, you know, you're just seeing again for the first time in years, basically. But <laughs> that's, that's George's idea of being a grown-up. Very impulsive. 
And so that they were going to go see the movie Firestorm tonight. Uh, now uh, it's still on the table, but it's a little weird between them. Uh, Jerry will go pick him up at his apartment and then they'll go to see it at eight o'clock. Um, so it's sort of like a down note here where they sort of realize they're not on the same page. And then Jerry sort of turns around and is like, hey, wait a second. How about champagne? And George, all of a sudden, he's back up again. Yes, champagne. How often do you get engaged? Let's do this. And don't, don't you think the tone of this scene is very strange? It's one of the. It's one it's of like the odd. It's odd. Yeah, I'm with it up until this point with the champagne. So Jerry starts to get him all excited about champagne, and then he looks around for it, can't find it. Says, "Oh, you know what? I've got no champagne. I'll see you later." Yeah. And Jerry never had champagne. We know Jerry's like alcohol, you know, in his house. You think that's what it was? Usually. You think that Jerry was messing with him? Oh, you think? No, I don't think he was messing. I think he's just like a dummy who thinks like, oh, I probably, you know, he's a single dude who thinks like, oh, I probably have champagne from like five years ago in the house. And is like, oh, I don't have it anymore. But to me, I think that this was sort of like a reprise of the initial conversation where it's like Jerry throws something out there and like, hey, you know, what would be great. Like, let's get married. And George's like, yes. Yes, let's do that. Let's do this thing. And Jerry's like, okay, great. And then just like with this, like, uh, you know what? We're not, that's, that thing's not happening. Uh, and now George has already gotten his hopes up about this thing. And now it ends up like depressed about it. Uh, yeah, and it is a depressing scene. It, very, very strange from like in the Seinfeld canon, this scene. But uh, again, this episode is very interesting. It's not boring, even though it's really not a funny episode. Like there's so much plot going on here. Okay, so we go to Elaine and Newman. They're in the car right now, and they're in the van, and they're waiting to see where the dog is. Uh, shades of the sniffing accountant here as well. Yeah, that's true. And I said Kramer goes both times, but here I think Newman goes to get the dog. Kramer's the one who drops it uh, off in Mon- near Monticello or whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's... A little bit of a, a weird moment also where uh, that I believe that Newman is singing uh, How Much Is That Doggy in the Window? And yeah. Kramer is asking, what, what is that song? Is that a new song? <laughs> that is bizarre. I didn't even catch that. <laughs> All right. So uh, they are in the van. And uh, you know what they're going to do? That instead of whacking the dog, they're going to go and drop the dog off somewhere. Upstate. Upstate. Which... If you are a Manhattanite, upstate is anything out of the city, basically. Right. Now, that's typically a euphemism for when the dog is dead. But here, literally, they're going to go drop the dog off upstate. Yeah, but I think that was not lost on the writer of the episode. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So then we now go to George's apartment. I guess Susan has moved, either moved in or is just uh, sort of setting up shop there at George's house. And Jerry wants to know, are you ready to go see the movie? Again, pre-cell phone world. And uh, George cannot. He cannot go to the movie. He's punished. It's like me with the trial and error for my friend's mom. Okay. And the problem was he didn't tell Susan about it. She doesn't have anything else to do, and she doesn't want to see that movie. No, she wants to see The Muted Heart. (laughs) Yes. The Muted Heart. And Jerry is courteous enough to explain who's in The Muted Heart. Oh, Glenn Close, Sally Field. Uh, that should be good. <laughs> Hardest pass for a muted heart with Glenn Close and Sally Field. Okay, so maybe they could share a cab together to go to the Cineplex. 
Yeah, and this is also like a weird scene. Like Susan's not really there, but she's like, you know, it's 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 it, I, this is also a poorly directed scene in my opinion. Okay, Susan says to George, "You're wearing that shirt." Yeah, and that's like the typical like, oh, she's such a nagger. Mm-hmm. Right. So George just has to tell Jerry he can't go. I'll see you down there. So that that's it. So Susan already cracking down on what George is going to wear. Yeah, his attire. Yeah, that's fine. Again, I, I, she's supposed to be the wet blanket in a lot of these episodes. Mm-hmm. Fine. Um, you know, I, I don't have a big issue with that. If, if my wife wanted to be more involved with what I was wearing, I, I would welcome that. I agree. I think, and I'm sure you had the same thing earlier in my marriage, my wife would say stuff like that to me. Right. Like, she's like, oh, you're going out in that? And then she'd give me something else to wear. And, and like, right. that's obviously a much better idea. Like, she has a better idea of what I look like. I don't look in mirrors, first of all, ever. And, like, and she just, you know, she just has an eye for that that I don't have. Right. But now she doesn't care at all. And I have to ask her, and she still doesn't care. She's like, I don't know, whatever. Right. You know, it's, we're supposed to be there 20 minutes ago. Why are you it's asking like, me now? I don't care that much. What would you like? Is there anything that I could do to this that would improve how much you like it? Now, uh, I, I can't imagine what I would wear that would uh, at least inspire some interest. Yeah, no, I agree. I think what would this podcast have sounded like if we did it like uh, five years ago? You know, oh, it'd be <laughs> much more optimistic. Yeah, well, maybe I would. I was married for seven years already at that point, almost. So <laughs> we would have had. It would have been one of these like you know me podcasting right. in two thousand six with you in like two thousand nine. We really should have done it ten years ago. That would have been uh, much a uh, much more optimism and uh, and and hope and promise for the future. Yeah, I'm still in college. The world is my oyster. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> All right, so now they're back in the van, and Elaine is talking about, uh, with Kramer, uh, what time do you have? And Kramer doesn't wear a watch. He goes by the sun. He gets within an hour. Yeah, this is, and this is actually funny, but has no place to, like, it, it, it really doesn't connect to anything. <laughs> but I still like the idea that Kramer doesn't know what time it is ever. Elaine says, yeah, well, I could guess within an hour. I don't have to look at the sun. Right. And and she points out at night, it's impossible to know whether it's 2 a.m. or, you know, 4.30 a.m. Okay. Newman dives into the car with a dog. Let's go. Let's go. Move. And uh, we end up seeing the dog. And it's like a Benji type uh, tiny dog. Yeah. I thought Benji was big. I didn't know that Benji no, was tiny. No. Benji is small. Oh, that's like Lassie? That's Beethoven? I don't know. Beethoven I don't know, like, t- is like a St. Bernard. Lassie is like a collie, and Benji... Babe is is a a pig. Babe is a pig. Uh, I'm not sure what type of dog Benji is, but he's like a little, like a little terrier. You know, I, because I wasn't like really brought up with animals, like I, I, I skipped all the animal movies when I was a kid. I never watched Babe. I never watched Beethoven. I never watched 101 Dalmatians. Yeah. And if there was a dog in it, I, I like I, I don't hate dogs now. Don't get me wrong, but like I just had no interest in them when I was a kid. So I really I, I missed that whole sort of uh, subsection of uh, film. Okay, according to this Google search, uh, believe Benji might be a mutt, but with some characteristics of a Tibetan terrier or spaniel. Mm. There you go. That's Benji. So we end up with uh, driving, and there's some debate: Is this the dog? He's too small to be the loud dog. Yeah, and it would have you know, been interesting if they did get the wrong dog. But uh, as you say, it is the right dog here. <laughs> okay. All right. So uh, we're at the movie theater. George and Susan are coming out of Muted Heart. 
and um, that uh, George says it was good. And uh, I don't know if he's faking or if he's lying to Susan about the movie, but we see Jerry with his friend here, and uh, they are talking about what happened in Firestorm and how exciting it was. Now, you know, put down your pencil. We're going to have to have a fight here, Rob. Why? Is this the guy Jerry went to a film with, or is this Jerry going alone and talking to the guy who sat next to him after the movie? Hmm. Because you're saying it's his friend. I'm 99% sure, because he didn't have time to ask another person. They were going straight to the theater. So, like, did he pick up the phone in George's house, call up a friend, say, Harry, are you doing nothing this second? Can you, like, take a quick cab to this movie and meet me there in two minutes? Hmm. I think this is, like, in theory, it could be someone he knows, you know, who we just saw in the theater. That's possible. But I think it's just a guy. Right. Um, Now, I believe it's a comedian, and that's why I assumed that it was one of Jerry's friends. Yeah. No, it's a fair assumption, because I've thought the same thing. Yeah. But it's Mario Joyner, who's, uh, uh, you know, pretty well-known comedian. I just... he's Listen, he's on the show because he's probably Jerry's friend, you know, from, like, the Comedy Cell or something, but... Yeah. But if it was just supposed to be a random, why get Mario Joyner to be the random person... Why not get any sort of, like you said, an extra to be that person? Why have it be a comedian that Jerry is at the movie with? Like, it's almost like that this is like trying to incorporate that Jerry has other friends outside of George. Just like, uh, you know, when Jerry has the poker game at his house where none of the core four are at. Like, I feel like that this is, you know, the, you know there are other comedian friends that he has. Okay, so I just asked Chester. I said, did Jerry go to the movie theater with, with uh, Mario Joyner, or is he just talking to him about the movie afterwards? And Chester says, just talking to him as he walks out. So Chester's on Team Akiva. Okay. But you're making a good point. I, I want to hear if anyone has anything to say. And Falconer, put this on the list, because I feel like this is uh, a good question. Now, Mario Joyner yeah. may have missed the... I do feel bad sometimes on Twitter where it's like this guy was like super famous in like 2000. Not that Mary Joyner was ever super famous. But sometimes you'll see someone who's like, really? Like Brian Dunkelman only has 400 followers on Twitter? He was on American Idol. And, you know, they missed their heyday was pre-Twitter. So Mary Joyner only has 2,700 followers. So hmm. I'm going to ask him. I have to say, he, doesn't, he seems like a, like a cool guy who is not going to answer this question. Or if he answers it, is going to make fun of me about it. Yeah. Now, here we go. Now, this is where the things get more interesting. So, Mario Joyner, longtime friend of Jerry Seinfeld, uh, according to Wikipedia, uh, that he is a good friend of Chris Rock as well. However, that this will not be Mario Joyner's only appearance on Seinfeld. So, we have to then ask the question, does Mario Joyner play two characters, or is he the same character when he reappears as somebody else in traffic in the aforementioned Puerto Rican Day Parade. Yes, but his character in the Puerto Rican Day Parade's name is Lamar. Now, it's possible that his character in the in the engagements episode in the engagement episode is also named Lamar, and we just don't know it. I'm blanking off off uh, the top of my head what his what Lamar's role is is in the Puerto Rican Day Parade, which of course I haven't seen many times. Yes, uh, so in the maroon golf. Yeah. All oh, right, he's just in. He's just in traffic, right? 
Right. But he is somebody who's blocking them from getting through. But he's marooned. Yeah, so he's not Jerry's friend in the Puerto Rican Day Parade. Right. He's not Jerry's friend in the Puerto Rican Day Parade. So is he playing a different character here? Or is this like some lost like coincidence where Jerry went to go see the movie Firestorm by himself and sat next to a man and had a great time with this said person and two and a half years later ends up in a huge traffic altercation with this same person and neither one remembers that they enjoyed a pleasant Harrison Ford film together in a movie theater. Okay, so what I do is I'm going to tweet the character. I have to say settle a bet because that'll make it sound a little bit less pathetic. Dirty. Yeah, like that we're, we're having this something. conversation. Right. And I do think like Mary Joyner is not, you know, sometimes the actresses who like had one shot at glory love these questions. Yeah. But I don't think like a like yeah. a seasoned comedian like Mario is is going to do anything other than ignore me or destroy me. But he doesn't have a lot of followers, so he's going to see it, even though uh, Jerry Seinfeld himself does follow him. Mm, okay, there you go. So uh, we'll see. We'll to see. be continued for next week. Okay. Now, interestingly, this, okay, now things get more interesting here. According to WikiSign, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know. Great do, you, do you feel like that, that the Seinfeld wiki, Mario Joyner is an American actor. He appears as himself in the engagement. That's absurd. He also that, appears as the Maroon Golf in the Puerto Rican Day Parade. He and Jerry Seinfeld are good friends. I think they, I, there's no evidence that he appears as himself. Okay, well, let, can we go to IMDb? What is Mario Joyner listed as in this episode? Is he listed as Mario Joyner? I don't, I don't think he's listed as anything, if I remember correctly. Okay. Like, I don't know if his, if his character doesn't have a name, he doesn't have a name. He's listed as, um, him, it says himself. But so, Wick, Seinfeld Wiki is just taking it from IMDb. So it's a big circle, uh, you know what. It's like, there's no... If he's billed as himself, then he is Jerry's friend. He's also in B-Movie. Yeah. <laughs> Go back to uh, 1995. Uh, that, uh, I, I, he might actually be uncredited in the episode, uh, unless he's uh, That's listed That's what I'm saying. As... I think he's uncredited, and no, I'm pretty no, no, sure. No, 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 no. He is credited as himself in the engagement. That's Are you sure? Looking. On IMDb, he is. On IMDb, he is credited as himself in the engagement. Okay, so I, I tweeted at, at Mario Joyner, settle a bet on Seinfeld. Did you and Jerry go to see the movie together? Or were you just talking to Jerry after the movie? He's not going to understand the question that, that we're asking. Okay, so how should playing? I? It's hard on Twitter to yes, articulate. I, I think this that in the 1995 Seinfeld episode, the okay, I can't. I, I listen. I, I can't do okay. like one out of three. Okay. I can't start putting in fractions for Mario Joiner to read. You know, four of my tweets. He's, he's going <laughs> to block me. I, I think you could do it without a fraction. Like uh, in okay. Seinfeld, the engagement. All right, I'm telling you we're not going to be able to put in the engagement. But yeah, keep going. Are you playing yourself or some guy Jerry met at the movie? See, I don't know if that answers our question. I I don't totally know if that answers our question, though. I can ask that. So you are saying that there's a possibility that comedian Jerry Seinfeld happens to be at the movie and sitting next to comedian Mario Joyner and he sure. doesn't realize that he is also a fellow comedian, though in real life these two people are friends in the No, 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 he realizes. Universe. They just didn't go together. They didn't go together to the movie, and then they see each other. Hey, Jerry. Hey, Mario. What's up? Uh, how, do you, how do you like the movie? You know, either they saw each other beforehand, maybe they sat, sat near each other, maybe well, they saw I, each I other afterwards. I feel like afterwards. that's having your cake and eating it, too, in that case. Of they were so friends, I don't know what but the they didn't crux go of there our, together. Of our issue is. 
What yeah. is our big question? Is Mario playing himself, or is it? Did they go to the movie together? Did they? Did they know each other, or is this a random person that he's sitting next to in the movie theater? I think that the oh, they were friends, but they didn't make plans together. They just both happened to be at the movie at the same time and are sharing a laugh after the movie as acquaintances. I think that's okay. a cop out. That is not on the table. All right, so I think I'm going to ask my question, and then maybe I'll have someone else ask the second question so we don't bombard him. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Uh, like if All he right. doesn't answer the first one. All right. Well, I'll ask him up, a follow-up. Let's pick up the pace a little bit because we okay. spent too much time on the Mario <laughs> Joyner uh, issue. All right, so they realize, okay, they got to Monticello. They let up the, where is Monticello? It's what we'd call upstate. It's really not that far upstate. Okay. It's like, right. it's like the big, when you're in like summer camp there, that's like the big city you go to, to like the Walmart or whatever. Is it north of Ithaca? No, it's like an hour and a half from the city at most. <laughs> okay. All right. South so they drop the dog off in Monticello. This is your new home. There you go. And so. No, I he, think they say halfway to Monticello. Okay. Right? Well, uh, we're practically to Monticello. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Okay. So then they, the dog is let out of the car. He rips Kramer's shirt, and the shirt is from Rudy's. Is there any? Should we know Rudy's? I don't think so. Okay. All right. It just seems like that that is like a weird thing to say that, you know, okay, oh, it's a Rudy's shirt. I think they're shirt. just tracking the shirt. Oh, a Ru- yeah. Well, Rudy's is, the, Rudy's is the, um, the used clothing store from the raincoats. But, but why what, do the, they have a label on their Yeah, clothes? I don't know. <laughs> right. Usually a, cl- a store like that would be the last one to have. It doesn't make sense. Right. I, I was, yeah. Like what secondhand clothing store is right. putting, puts a label on the clothes <laughs> and why wouldn't they're you They're logoing it everything. Right. I believe that becomes firsthand. <laughs> Unless yeah. we're really like in the matrix or something. <laughs> okay. Because they treat it like something we should know. Yeah. It's a little bizarre. Okay. Anyway. So um, – Jerry is uh, talking to George, and he calls him up. This is also a pretty absurd thing. He says, like, hey, uh, at MSG is rerunning the Yankee game. You watching this? Uh, yeah, this is like such an early 90s thing. Yeah. And also, they're, they're Met fans. Why do they care about the Yankee game? Unless there's well, like George works game. for the Yankees. That's true. But why did Jerry, I don't think Jerry should be caring about the Yankees. Like, he should I mean, be watching... What channel are the Mets on? In, in, like Sports Channel? Yeah, you're watching Sports One Channel word. right now? Um, <laughs> I'm not sure, but, you know, hey, look, the Yankees were in the mix for the wild card in the fall of 1995, uh, headed towards an exciting uh, divisional series against the Seattle Mariners. So uh, maybe there was playoff fever. I don't believe the Mets were in the mix uh, in the fall of 1995. So I can understand that. But just the idea of, like, who would, how many people would be watching the replay? You, you mean it's weird that they air it or what? Because they went to a movie, so they missed the game. Like what? They used to always watch the replay. So it wouldn't be an uncommon thing to be watching the replay of the baseball game and then just call. Well, they didn't have like, hey. like the sports night tonight, like SNY now or whatever it's called. Okay. You know, they don't. Ha- they didn't have a lot of programming. What are they right. going to so show you? Like uh, if you didn't listen to the radio, you wouldn't know the outcome of the game until you watched it. No, watch, they like, showed the, the game news. and then they showed it again at 11. No, but I'm saying if you missed the, it the first time it was on and didn't watch the local news, maybe you didn't know the outcome. Sure. Yeah, it's very easy. I used to watch SportsCenter to find out what the Spurs did every morning mm-hmm. because like, there was no way to know. You could, there was no ticker even then. Maybe the ticker was every half hour on the bottom of the ESPN yeah. screen. But there was literally no way. To, maybe you could call some like, $2 a minute phone number, but there was really <laughs> no way to know who won a game back then. Yeah. R- Rob, we were really like... Born a few years too early. It was kind of ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. 
All right. So then uh, George cannot watch the game because uh, that he has to uh, go and watch the tape Mad About You uh, with Susan. Again, this is like a pre-DVR world. Everybody's watching something that's already recorded. Yeah, they, I, I don't understand. Uh, for, I guess, yeah, he could tape it, I guess. But what are you going to watch a taped Yankee game? How many VCRs does he have? Yeah, that's true. They only have one VCR, probably. <laughs> also, like, George, I, I assume it's a road game. I, sort of, I assume George goes to the home games. Uh, I have no idea. I mean, I don't think we have a lot of evidence of that. Wait, no, George needs... Oh, wait, this is actually a big plot hole. As the assistant of the traveling secretary, George has to be on the road with the Yankees, and he never is. Okay. Right? The, unless, like, the traveling secretary goes and they need him to stay home. Yeah, maybe. It's like a president and vice president thing. They don't want, like, both of them to be on the same plane. <laughs> That's possible. Uh, okay. George starts getting mad, and uh, he says, you know, it was really wrong that you backed out of that deal. And Jerry said, we didn't have a deal. And George says, it's a deal where I come from. And Jerry says, we come from the same place, which I like it. Uh, all right, so Susan is going to start uh, Mad About You. Um, do you like the treatment of Mad About You in this episode? Yeah, a lot of people wrote in to discuss it, so I guess we could get to it. But it, it's it's a little interesting. Okay. Uh, the dog's name is uh, Lady Roxy, um, and uh, we end up uh, seeing a uh, bit of a homecoming um, for uh, Lady Roxy as she uh, heads over the bridge. Yes, and uh, people wrote in about this too, but like the dog running home is one of the least realistic th- things that have happened on the show so far. Sure, sure. Um, like it's the same night. They couldn't. They were so lazy that they couldn't be like two nights later. Like make it clear that it's not that night that this dog is running home. You know, hundreds of miles or however long it is. We also get something that we've seen a number of times uh, in Seinfeld, uh, or maybe actually, I mean, certainly here in the contest. Uh, do we see it other times uh, that shots of the different characters trying to sleep? I'm thinking all four. We see the contest. They're all restless. I can't think of a second one. Sometimes we'll see one or two of them, but. Yeah, this is def- this is reminiscent of the contest, right? Okay. Everyone is sort of having a nightmare, or Elaine or, is sleeping. Or... George can't sleep because Susan's in the bed. Uh, Jerry is uh, sleeping perfectly, uh, and uh, Kramer, what's his problem? He has a nightmare about the dog. He, he's okay. got That's remorse. Right. <laughs> yeah. All right. So the dog ends up coming home and then uh, gets back to its owner and starts barking again. You know, literally in the span of a few hours, like the dog must have hitched a ride. Yeah, you would think so. Maybe hopped on like a train or something like that. All right. So uh, they're in Jerry's house. She doesn't know how it happened. They were practically in Monticello. How did the dog find its way back? Uh, And Jerry is sort of in the dark. Tell me, who was the big mastermind? And Elaine, for some reason, is protecting Newman that she's sworn to secrecy. She won't give up Newman to Jerry? It seems like Elaine is not the squealer on the level of George, but it seems a little weird that she wouldn't tell. But she knows there's such a history. It's going to get back to her, and then Newman's going to be mad. So it's not that she's protecting Newman. It's she's protecting herself, I think. Okay, so then Jerry says he's not going to tell the big news. And then finally... Uh, He gives in and uh, George Costanza is getting married and uh, a really epic get out where Elaine uh, pushes Jerry into next week. Yeah, there's like an earthquake. (laughs) It's like cartoonish. This is you see this in any like clip show or a lot of commercials for Seinfeld. You Mm -hmm. see this push of Jerry. Yeah, big push. All right. So outside of Kramer's apartment, we have a police officer. Hey, you Cosmo Kramer, you recognize this piece of fabric boy. Uh, since the OJ trial, the uh, DNA has really accelerated. Like, uh, how did they track down Kramer from that piece of fabric? 
truly these detectives were, you know, uh, you know, when when they say like New York City cut out crime between like the mid 90s and like the early aughts. Mm-hmm. Right. That like crime. I mean, these detectives mu- had to be at like the forefront. Yeah. <laughs> like, these amazing guys who, you know, in one hour crack an impossible case with a little bit of shirt material. Yeah. The dog had a like piece they got of the to shirt. Rudy's at 3 a.m. And like Rudy's like, oh, yeah, uh, it was probably Cosmo Kramer. Yeah. They said, I have a receipt for a rental car with your signature, including a report with some damage to the rear seat. It seems that the spring was so compressed, it completely collapsed on the right side. Yeah, it's... Uh, I, are we I would fat love to, like, shaming wa- Newman? Oh, boy. <laughs> I think we are fat shaming Newman. I would love to watch this episode with, like, Larry and, and just, like, ask him, like, how, you know, were you just out of time? Like, did this episode, episode need another five, ten minutes? Like, this makes no sense how they got caught. It really, this is a good episode that gets knocked down a peg in my book from some of, like, the stretches we have at the end here. Mm-hmm, yeah. And then Newman opens the door. The police are knocking on his door. And he says, uh, what took you so long? Yeah, which I like. You know, thinking you're more important than you are. It's like, oh, yeah, you guys have been looking for me for years. Well, is that what it was? I mean, it was just like a, so cavalier of Newman. Okay, that, so Johnny DeSilvera. Yeah. Johnny DeSilvera, the always uh, invaluable Johnny DeSilvera, wrote in and said that uh, when they, you know, because we know that Newman took over the son of Sam, David Berkowitz's mail route, right? Mm-hmm. So when they came for the son of Sam, he said to them, what took you so long? So this is this is a, a great callback, actually. Oh, we just okay. Get. Got it. Well, again, yeah, it's, it's really smart on their part. Yeah, it was just over our head. Okay. Johnny caught it, though. All right. And so then uh, they're in the back of the, car, the cop car with Kramer, Newman, and Elaine. Uh, wants to know, um, Kramer saying, what do you think they're going to do to us? And Newman says, don't worry. That in 20 minutes, that place will be swarming with mailmen. Yeah, what does this even mean? Like, the union is going to go after them? Like, I really don't understand. I don't know. I don't know. They're just going to sort of, like, uh, bring all the mailmen in there. And it's like, all right, fine. Let him go. Let him go. This is too annoying. Uh, I guess. (laughs) Is that how it happens at a police station? If you annoy them, they let you go? (laughs) Yes. Yes. Okay. And then uh, Elaine says, I got to make some changes. I'm not a woman. I'm a child. What kind of life is this? That's kind of a funny callback. And then we have a, uh, a wordless close to the episode uh, where other than the theme to Mad About You, where George just uh, looks very distressed watching Mad About You in bed with Susan. We hear like the whole theme to Mad About You. Yeah. In uh, wrestling terms, this is like burying Mad About You, they would say. Yeah. Yeah. Very funny stuff. Okay. All right, Keith. Uh, we've got one episode down in season seven. Let's get into uh, where it lands for us in terms of the characters and your overall rankings. Um, all right, let's go through it. Let's start with George, that he sort of has the title of the episode, the engagement. Uh, George proposing to Susan. Again, more interesting than funny, but a very important episode. I'll give him an A minus. Okay. No, I think give it an A for uh, the sake of history. Very important okay. stuff going on here. All right, but uh, I think it kind of falls off the table after that. What about Jerry and not getting engaged? You know, I like Jerry's sort of uh, like attitude in this episode. Mm-hmm. I can relate to him. Um, there's, he's not given a ton of meat, but I, uh, the peace thing is funny. I'll give him an A minus also. Yeah, I'll, I'll say it's a B. I mean, he really does carry that scene in Monk's early episode where he sort of like uh, it has like this. Uh, crisis of conscience and uh, sort of like this existential moment of what am I doing with myself Uh, and then sort of like very quickly comes out of it so um, that's very fun doesn't really have a ton to do the rest of the episode but uh, B for me all right Uh, Elaine and the dog it's not super annoying I don't know if it really pays off at all Uh, you know it's it's brought up again next week 
it's not like a major plot point. Um, I'll give her a B. It's fine. I'll say it's a C. I think it's a pretty forgettable overall plot point. I feel like that I confused this with like a, a couple of other things that went on. It's in- true. Yeah, yeah. No, there are some similar plots. The, I I do really like her like her horse voice. I do think it, it adds something to her. Like she's very likable in this episode. Mm-hmm. Okay. Even though she's like getting rid of a dog. All right. And then finally Kramer, who doesn't really have a story of his own other than being a tag along on getting rid of the dog. Yeah, I'll give him an incomplete. He he barely has like no, I'll give him a B because his scene where he talks Jerry and George down from being grown-ups is actually really good. Yeah. Okay, uh, I'll give him a C. I feel like I agree with that, and then I feel like the rest of the episode doesn't have a ton uh, going on. Too wrapped up in getting rid of the dog. Okay, Akiva, where do you put the first episode of season seven in your overall ranking? To me, it's a good episode. Very one, Maybe the plot-heaviest episode we've had so far. Not really any super memorable lines, but, but an interesting episode. So I have it above average. I have it at 77. 77, okay. Uh, for season seven, double sevens. Yeah, I definitely did not think of that, but uh, I guess if you like the synergy, it's there. <laughs> okay. All right. So let's get into our mailbag here for the first episode of season seven, episode 111 of Seinfeld. And uh, of course, uh, these emails come to us every week Seinfeld at postshowrecaps.com. Uh, Keeve, where do you want to start off? Uh, should we start with uh, Johnny DeSilvera? Yes. Okay, so he says, Susan and George watch an episode of Mad About You. However, we know that the two worlds exist together since Kramer's in an episode of Mad About You. Hmm. That's a good point. It's a good point. So uh, how do we reconcile this? I think we don't. I think this is like a, fl- a flaw in the Matrix. Oh, uh, boy. Um, I mean, Kramer is in an episode of Murphy Brown. Right, but they don't watch Murphy Brown. Oh, but she has a spec script of Murphy Brown, but that ties into it. They do watch Murphy uh, Brown. We see Kramer when he's on, on an episode of Right, I'm Brown. saying we don't... They, I understand. We have to um, podcast about the episode of Mad About You that Kramer is on to be able to... Yeah, when we get it. to that, when we get to that, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll be... After our eighth run of Seinfeld, when we can no longer access Seinfeld on like the hover whatever machine. I mean... And after, after we finish Curb. Right. Through that sort of, okay, well, Mad About You exists in the same universe as Seinfeld because Kramer is on Mad About You. Also... Then Phoebe's twin sister, Ursula, is also on Mad About You. So that would put that Friends and Seinfeld exist in the same universe as well. Yeah, and there was also the the Friends characters were on every show. Mm -hmm. And by the way, I did say last week that I thought it'd be cool if we started with the intros every episode. But I I did a huge YouTube deep dive this week, and I was unable to find uh, most of the season, season seven commercials, like the promos for the episodes. Yeah. I, there's a lot of like season one through three and then season nine. But when I when we get up to them, I'll I'll send you them. But okay. maybe somebody has the uh, the mall on yes. VHS. Uh, it, you know, that's a good thing. Someone like there's so much junk on YouTube. Someone should upload those. Mm-hmm. But I do think that um, every single time I click on one of these, it's like Matthew LeBlanc is showing up on, you know, suddenly Sarah tonight. Suddenly and, you know, Sarah. It's, it's like, I don't know, whatever. It's like every show that lasted two episodes. Yeah. There's, uh, you know, there's, uh, there's a friend's appearance on. Yeah. Like they're all over the place. It's hot. The, the, um, the one another one of my favorite like old school dead shows things I saw was like I was looking at the ratings for this episode. Mm-hmm. One of the shows it went up against has to be the most uh, obscure broadcast TV show of all time. What's that? It went up a, go, a, sh- a show called Monroe's. Monroe's, which was like it lasted one or two episodes, I think. 
It was about like a, a like a political family in Virginia that the guy was the mayor and like the lady was having an affair with someone who might have been the president, but they never let you in on it because the show was canceled so quickly. Uh, and I'd never heard of it, and it barely—I don't even know if it has a Wikipedia page. Like it's so it's so obscure. Anyway, so Seinfeld was crushing that. Okay. Uh, Johnny wants to know what do we think we're going to be doing when we're sixty? We already established that, right? We're going to be podcasting stale about oh, Seinfeld sure, or sure. about you or about Curb. Uh, and then he says, so are we to assume that Kramer, Newman, and Elaine got off scot-free for dog napping? No, tune in next week. We'll see. Uh, there is a slight conclusion to that. But uh, uh, what does Lindsay have to say, Rob? Lindsay wants to say, I've been confused about this story arc ever since uh, the news story recently about how they killed off Susan because she was hard to work with and didn't have great chemistry with the actors. I feel like that uh, she can't have had amazing chemistry in season four and then become suddenly awesome in season seven. Why do you think that they decided to bring her back? And we explored a bit of this uh, beforehand. I mean, who were you going to bring back if you wanted to do a storyline about George getting married? Yeah, and you and we had said the answer before a bunch of times, and you said it, I think, this episode, where Jason Alexander hated her then, but I guess he didn't feel comfortable saying anything, and they didn't really play with her until this season. So the, the, core, the other members of the core four didn't know until they had to act with her. So that's really why they bring her back and then realize it was a mistake. And then Lindsay also adds, do you have anyone in your lives that uses weird expressions like happy pappy? A friend of mine always used to say victory whenever anything good happened. It was terrible. I believe that's a reference to Viking Quest, right? I don't know what that is. That does sound terrible Yeah, when someone says victory. That's what she says used to say because they're not like her friend anymore. She cut them out of her life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have anyone like this? I. The only thing I say... That drives people crazy. I'll refer to myself as like Kiev sometimes, or like the Kiev dog, or Kiev, you know, Kiev dog. something like what I just like. Just always refer to myself by my name, and my wife thinks like every single time I do it, she says that's really weird. Stop doing that. Is there one G or two Gs in Kiev dog? <laughs> I never really thought of it. That's not really common, but I just I'll refer to myself with like nicknames because uh, no one else would like you know here would call me Kiev because that would imply some sort of like uh, closeness. Yeah, <laughs> that, like no, no, no one in my immediate family would ever would ever call me that. You but I think hope um, that Newman and Kramer don't ever come looking for Kiev Dog. Take you up to Monticello. Yeah, maybe it's two D. Maybe it's two G's, like Snoop Dogg, and I'm not a real dog. Okay, two E's, two G's, Kiev right. Dog. Right. <laughs> all right. What about Dan the Benefactor? Uh, Dan the Benefactor. So first of all, Dan the Benefactor uh, sent us a receipt for his season six donation. You know what the uh, grand total was from season six? Oh, uh, what was it? Five hundred eighty-seven dollars. Wow, that's a lot of minutes. Yeah, that, what's, yeah. what's that for? A dollar per minute? A dollar Damn. a minute, right? Over one hour and ten minutes. I'm sure Scott St. Pierre could show you the editing <laughs> uh, work that was done as well on that. And boy, uh, I mean, uh, Dan had no idea the world of hurt that he was entering into when he made that proposition back. During what was that? During season five, uh, I think he made it. Bef- I, th- I think he donated season four. Maybe in the middle. No, I think, made, I, made I, this- think I, I ran into him. It was like October of last year. Okay, he he could write in and tell us. But anyway, so it's definitely at least the second season. Now it's a new. It, there's a new name to the Baby Buggy Foundation. It's called the Good Plus Foundation. They've expanded their. You know, it was so successful that they sort of expanded their. Uh, goals as you know they have they have higher sort of expectations for themselves now so 587 dollars can buy for um needy people eight car seats or 10 strollers plus two high chairs so that's a lot of good that dan is doing 
Uh, and, you know, so maybe makes me feel a little bit better about uh, 587 bonus minutes of the podcast this season. Um, and so I, so the $500 level is, uh, is the eight car seat level. I'd like to know if Dan could figure out what's the get to podcast with the CEO's husband level. Because mm-hmm. we, maybe we'll, maybe we'll do question. some extra long bonuses next season. But good anyway, question. Dan writes in, not only is he a benefactor, he's our chess correspondent. Oh, good. He, sa- he said, because remember, the first scene of the episode, George and his girlfriend are playing chess. He says, George and his girlfriend are very bad at chess. Neither side has moved their pieces with any sort of basic strategy, and the whole position's a mess on both sides. Even worse, the scene opens on George's move, and he can just capture his girlfriend's king with his knight on B2 winning the game. By the way, if we said this to Jerry, I don't think anything would upset him more than this. <laughs> but good job, then. This means her next move when she checks it mates him is illegal, and technically George has still won the game anyways. Oh, wait, boy. Why, wait, hold on. Re- reset that. What? Why that uh, that? Well, he sent us a picture. Of the, he sent us a screen grab of the oh, board. You okay. have to look at the board. Okay, you 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 didn't forward that to me, but uh, so sorry. Why well, he emailed us? I forgot to put it in. So why is this an illegal move? I guess you can't move into checkmate, is what he's saying. Okay, and I'm not looking at the board either right now. But I I, I assume that's that's the only reason it would be an illegal move, unless you're just moving to a piece in an in a illegal direction, which I don't think he's saying. The whole thing is a confusing spotting dimes eating onion situation. I, I have no idea what he's talking about here. Uh, because the checkmate move is actually pretty elegant if it wasn't so obviously illegal. Uh, who knew? Maybe the way Dan pays for this podcast is he hustles people in the park in chess. Or he, because he sounds like he really knows himself. where nobody else can see them. Maybe that's yeah. what it comes down to. Or he's only eating onions. He's, he's starving himself. As for George's speech about the queen, while there's some truth to it, and that you don't want to take the queen out in your first few moves, she certainly doesn't like to stay at home. The queen's the most powerful piece on the board, and as soon as you've gotten your other pieces out of play, her job is to go away from home and attack the hell out of the other king. So George is talking a big game. But reality, he has no idea what he's talking about. I've also searched the internet for any discussion on the chess position from this episode and can't find anything. So I think this is an exclusive for our podcast wow dan this is really yes i like when someone knows their stuff and writes in and just to refer to the spotting dimes uh eating onions uh bit uh i think i have a clip that will help clarify that all right let me just uh i'm gonna grab an all apple right. hey grandma yeah. <laughs> elaine's afraid of snowball little snowball he runs on batteries another dog <laughs> joke you know george that's an onion <laughs> And when he was like looking for dimes in the pool, also. Oh, okay, fine. That was, That's fair. Yeah, I thought. See, I thought this is a chef re- chess reference, but I should be less stupid. No. Right, what does Craig from Vancouver write in okay. and say? Uh, Jerry laments that him and George have horrible lives. But do they really? I mean, George works for the New York Yankees, which is a job I think most people would dream of, and Jerry's a successful comedian on the show. We don't know how successful he is, but he's still touring, so that can't be bad. Maybe in terms of their love life, they feel like they have horrible lives, but finding a partner for life has never been shown as motivation for these characters before. Considering what happens later, is this just a momentary point of weakness where Jerry thinks that something is wrong only to change once he realizes the truth? Or does Jerry really think that he and George are living terrible lives? I mean, I just think it was sort of this existential crisis. and realize That's not what I want. Yeah, I think it's less unhappiness and more like emptiness that they don't, like, Ooh. is this all there is? Yes. I'm unfulfilled, but that is not necessarily what they want. But listen, the grass is always greener. Like a lot of people would kill for George's job, right? Like he's like Craig is saying, and a lot of people would kill to be a famous comedian who gets to go on the Tonight Show and you know goes travels around the country and does sets and people like him and he's yeah. got fans. And you so, could even uh, argue that George uh, would kill with his job. 
Yes. I mean, I, listen, in a lot like of people, 22 I, episodes. Right. That's right. I, I think, well, that's not necessarily his job related, but right. yeah. I think George, people would, like, as crazy as it sounds now, season seven, George Costanza, people would trade places with him. A lot of our listeners, if, you know, would say, like, oh, yeah, that looks like a pretty good setup he's got. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we wouldn't, because we love misery. Right. Um, <laughs> okay. How about uh, Harry writes in and says, uh, three years later, there was actually a horrible movie called Firestorm starring Howie Long, which has a rating of 4.6. Is that out of 100 or 10? No, I think that's IMDb. He was giving us a lot of... I- he he wrote in with some IMDb. Uh, he came up with his own movies um, that were funny. But he... What's it called? So IMDb is out of 10. 4.6 is like... A bad movie gets like a five, you know, like a five and a half. Four point six is an abomination. Mm-hmm. Um, Howie, yeah, Howie Long. I forgot he was like a movie star for a couple. You know, uh, he decided it was pr- probably better business to stop doing movies and start pumping out, uh, you know, three or four NFL sons at a time. <laughs> okay. Uh, also, that Harry says at the theater, there's a poster for a movie called Barcelona. No, it's not the story of the Olympic basketball dream team, but it's a real movie from 1994 that I've never heard of until now. Have you seen Barcelona? Yeah. No, I've never heard of didn't it. Make it's your probably top like 100 in, movies. Didn't even make top 1000. It's probably in Chester's top 5000 <laughs> or something. All right, Amir says, "Is it me or is breaking up with someone for shushing you not that insane at all? I'm an adult. Being shushed is incredibly rude and disrespectful. I wouldn't hesitate to break up with someone for that reason." All right, watch out, Mrs. Amir. Don't shush don't shush him. He might break up with you. Uh why is Jerry only now learning about the drawbacks of marriage from Kramer? Didn't he already realize the downside from his relationship with Courtney Cox back in The Wife? I mean, that's true. Good point. I, but Jerry realizes the downside of the marriage. That's why Jerry's not the one getting engaged in George's. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Now, Amir seems to have done a lot of uh, geography work here because he says, Monticello to the Upper West Side of Manhattan is over 90 miles away, traveling mainly on highways. Lady Roxy making her way back home seems inconceivable at best. There are just so many questions with the storyline. Is it even worth asking for an exclamation? Explanation. How does she run 90 miles? Let's say it's like 70, because they don't say it's in Monticello. They say it's near or most of the way or something. Monticello. Practically. How does she know how to get home? Okay, I feel like that's it. Dogs have run home before, right? Mm -hmm. She made it back that very same night. Yeah, we asked that question. That's bananas. She ran the entire time with the shirt in her mouth also. Probably a good question. How did she not get hit by a car? Listen, miracles happen. How did she get into the building? Excellent question. How did she make it up the elevator? Maybe she took the stairs. But that's a really mm-hmm. good question. How did she yeah. get, like, I understand to the building. Getting right. in the building. Like, maybe maybe this lady lives in the Larry Miller building. I'm not sure. A lot <laughs> of good know. questions. I, I think that the dog had to, like, get on a train at some point. I think so. Or uh, hitch a ride. <laughs> right. So one, one or the other. Uh, lady Roxy is incredible. All right. And then finally... Jester writes in and wants to know, is this the first time we see a pensive character sitting on the dock remembering flashbacks only to jog through pigeons? My favorite is when Jerry ponders if he prefers Claire or the voice. La, la, la. Yeah, there was news about that this week, but it's super in-depth, so I'll get to that. But there was actually an answer uh, about the voice revealed by the writer of that episode, but uh, we'll, we'll get there in a year. And then finally, Jester wants to know, Paul Reiser and Jerry Seinfeld are supposed to be friends. Do you think that Reiser appreciated the shade thrown at Mad About You as a lame slash unmasculine show? Note, I ranked Mad About You as the 90th best show of all time, and Akiva ranked it 89. Yeah. According to Chester of the 32 Fans podcast. Yeah, that is weird, right? Like, I think they do like each other. It's strange that he's, he's killing the show here, but uh, I guess maybe all press is good press. 
I heard that Paul Reiser uh, was talking smack about Mario Joyner, and that's why they had to uh, throw shade at him. Oh, yeah. If you mess with Mario Joyner, Jerry's coming at you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. His close friend that he goes to movies with. Okay. He's in two different episodes. <laughs> yeah. Akivo, what's the hashtag for the engagement? Oh, give me some options. I don't have a lot of options, but I'm telling you what I want to go with. Has to okay. be Keeve Dog. With two G's? With two G's. That's fine with me. Yes. Uh, you and Lady Roxy. Keeve Dog and Lady Roxy, the two greatest dogs of all time. All right. Uh, what else? Uh, we have uh, next week, we're going to be finding out more about this storyline uh, when we talk about what? The postponement? Yeah. Really answers itself what it's about. The postponement. We got Elaine's rabbi shows up for the first time. You know, he, he comes into play a few times. Uh, interesting episode, the postponement. Okay. Uh, that's coming up next week on the Seinfeld Recap Podcast, of course. A uh, big shout-out to Scott St. Pierre, who edits this podcast uh, down from whatever dreck we send him into what you guys hear. Postshowrecaps.com slash Seinfeld iTunes if you are so inclined to leave some reviews as we head into season number seven. That's postshowrecaps.com slash Seinfeld iTunes. Hopefully uh, we get many happy, pappy reviews out there. All right. Uh, Keith, anything else? I mean, I think we've gone long enough. I think we've uh, said everything we could possibly have to say. I'm excited to hear what Mario Joyner's got, got on us. But other than that, I think we're good. <laughs> hey, did Bette Midler ever write back about Beach's body? No. Uh, a lot of people like uh, really gave some action to that tweet to try and get her to notice. But no, I think Bette... I, I don't even know if Bette's answering the... Uh, the the tweets herself i feel like she's got a team mm, yeah is it kramer it could be I, it, she's probably fired him many times over since then <laughs> yeah okay well too bad that bet midler didn't write back about that <laughs> only uh, 11 retweets and uh, 11 favorites that's pretty good 11 retweets oh yeah that is good especially for me that's like the most i've ever gotten <laughs> yeah okay uh but i recognize all of the faces i think from people that listen to this <laughs> podcast the retweeter <laughs> So we appreciate that. All right. Um, so follow Akiva on Twitter at Keeve twenty six. What are you working on on thirty two fans? Anything? Uh, we're still in the movie list. We're almost done. Oh we, it's God. never ending. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I think this one was fun. If you want to learn a lot of really embarrassing things about Chester, this is this could be a good episode for you. All right. Sounds good. All right. Uh, looking forward to uh, continuing on trucking through season seven of Seinfeld. Looking forward to re- also reading your comments on PostureRecaps.com. Take care, everybody. Bye. Thank you.